Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12 And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their leaves that say in their heart the Lord will not do good neither will he do evil. Now Zephaniah is like the prophet Joel Both these prophets were prophets of the day of the Lord. The day when God visits sinners who have forgotten him and rejected his gospel. And of such a day, God here is speaking in our text in verse 12. At that time it shall come to pass. So there are two things in this verse. There's first of all the speaker, that's God, the divine voice. But there is then secondly the speech, or the divine word that God speaks. I think we have to first of all focus on the speaker. I stress it's not just the prophet, it's God's voice. God says, I will search Jerusalem And punish the men that are settled on their leads. And so the Lord here is telling us what he's going to do. And there are those verbs of action when God says I'm going to do this. To search and to punish. But I want to think about his voice. It's God that's speaking it. And I think we should pause there. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think it's just a preacher speaking. That's all. But this text is God speaking. Whenever we read that God is speaking, we have to pause and reflect and prick up our ears. What should we think about when we hear God's voice? Well, first of all, we should think that he expects us to listen. I mean, if your parents speak to you as children, they expect you to listen. It's all the same for us before God. When God speaks, at the very least, he expects us to listen, to give our ear, to be attentive, and also to be obedient to what he says. And very often the Lord is saying, he that have ears, let him hear what God says. Be ye hearers of God's word, the Bible teaches us. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. So he expects to be listened to. So let's listen to God tonight. And then the second thing we ought to know when God speaks is that what he says is faithful and true. Not idle words. Not tales merely. Not some vain and empty words. Not like we as parents who sometimes we threaten our children or sometimes we maybe even promise children but don't fulfill. They're just idle words. Just maybe trying to frighten them or to encourage them but no fulfillment of the word. But God's not like that. He's true and faithful. When he promises, he intends to fulfill When he threatens, he intends to fulfill. 
if the warning is not heeded. So that's something we should know about God's word. That it is true and faithful and will be most certainly fulfilled. Now sometimes Satan tempts us to think that God's word will not be fulfilled sometimes. God would never do that, the devil comes along and says. That threatening won't fall in you. God won't keep that promise to you. And so the devil would make us doubt the voice of God. You remember Eve in the Garden of Eden, she had heard God's voice, but Satan come along and said, you'll not surely die. God said, you shall surely die. But Satan said, you'll not surely die. He, he contradicted the word of God. He said, God won't do that. God won't allow that to happen. That's not what will take place. Who was right? Well, we know who was right. We've been at enough funerals and visited enough cemeteries to know who was right. Death did enter. And so God keeps his threats. And there's a threat here in our text. And it's true. And we have to know this. This isn't an idle voice tonight. The third thing that we should know when God speaks is that his words reveal him. This is the most wonderful thing about whenever we are collecting the words of God. Now all the Bible is the word of God, but sometimes it's just a recording of what the devil says and what men say. But whenever God actually directly speaks and the words are coming out of his heart, those words reveal him. And to me this is the most exciting thing about his word. Because by his word we get to see into his heart. We get to see how he feels about things. And what he thinks about things. And we begin to know the character of God by his words. And it's the only way that we can know God by his words. And that's why he sent his son into the world. Because his son is the word of God. He is all that God is and all that God reveals. And so we know him in the eternal word. But we also know him in the written word. Remember how the Lord said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You know a good man by what he says, and an evil man by what he says, but it's especially so with God. Just as we see his works, we learn from his works that he's good and wise and powerful. And so when we listen to his words, and you have to reflect upon them and think upon them, of course. And you have to ask every time you hear a word from God, now, what does that show me about God? What is that revealing to me about his inner nature? Not that we can perfectly know God, but we can know something of God by the revelation from his word. So, so let's be humble and just listen to God to learn about him. And we will listen all the more carefully if we want to learn about him. And then the fourth thing about God's word is that if we listen to it and obtain grace to give heed to it, it will be transforming. His word is transformative. God's word never leaves anyone the same. God's word, if we heed it, it will change us. It will recreate us. It will revive us. It will do something to us that is positive and good. 
On the other hand, if we hear God's word and don't heed it, we will be deformed. We will be unformed. We will be decreated. We will be made worse. God's word never leaves people the same. By those who are hated, it makes them better. By those who reject it and put it far from them, they reject the, the life of that word and they enter into a, a state of deformity and decreation and getting worse and worse. We need God's word. You know, People say, oh, I don't want to hear God's word. I don't want it. But the fact of the matter is you only get worse and worse without it. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's what everybody out there is trying to do. They're trying to live by bread alone. But it doesn't bring them life. It's not bringing them what they need. It's the word of God, the word of his mouth that we need. And so we have to know that God's word is so vital, so important. It's bringing us blessing. It's bringing us life. Our life spiritual, our life eternal. And so that's how important God's voice is. No life without it. So let's remember those things as we come to this text. What is he saying then by his voice here? There are two verbs here, and I highlight them tonight. First of all, he says, I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their leaves. So the Lord here is revealing himself as a searcher. I have a searching heart. I have a searching nature. I scrutinize. I make inquiry. And he also says, I punish. I don't turn a blind eye to sin. I don't cover up sin lightly. I'm a punisher. The liberals need to hear that today. God punishes sin. So we see something of his nature here. I want to think about these terms. and I've had a bit of a dilemma thinking about them. Because how do we interpret this word? By that I mean, is the search in order to punish? Or is the search something separate from the punish? Is it something distinct? Is, I will search with candles. Is there something of grace in that? Searching with candles. And then the punishing something of judgment. Or is the eye searching with candles in order to the punishment so that it's all judgment and all punishment? If you understand what I'm trying to say here. Is this a search to find men, wicked men, in order to punish them? Or is the punishment something God is going to do anyway and he doesn't need candles for it because he knows all men, he knows the hearts of men, is this another search with lamps for another reason? Might not God be searching for another intent? And might there not be two things here? Salvation on the one hand. I'd search Jerusalem, that dark place, with candles. And then on the other hand, and punish the wicked in it. The ungodly, the unbelieving and the unrepentant. So I'm going to take it as both ways. A searching in grace 
and a searching in punishment. A searching of mercy and salvation and a searching of justice. I didn't consult many commentaries, a couple, and I think that most commentaries link the two and say it's all judgment and that's mainly what the chapter is about. But yet I can't help thinking this searching with candles has something more. By candles, of course, is not meant wax candles, but lamps, oil lamps. These lamps were very common, and the people in the towns and villages, they had to use them even during the day, because they didn't have big windows in their houses, and all the streets were tightly packed. And even during the day, you needed the lamps to search in the house and to illuminate the house. So, so they're a very common thing. And of course, there was oil in these lamps. And so perhaps there's something of grace here. The oil speaks of the Spirit, the illumination of the Spirit, the grace of God. Maybe these lamps in some respects are persons. Isn't the child of God a lamp? Isn't the church a lamp? A light in the darkness as they bring the gospel out, as they bring the gospel to sinners, a light in a dark world. And really, that's what the gospel is, isn't it? A light and God going out with the light. I was thinking of Jeremiah whenever he was talking about the divine judgment. And he said in Jeremiah 16, verse 16, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill, and out of the holes of the rocks, for mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. So the Lord there is describing two categories of hunters. The fishers, first of all, fishing for men. And then the hunters, hunting for men. And they both seem to be the same thing. Searching for the sinner, searching for the wicked, capturing the ungodly, as fishermen catch fish and as hunters catch animals. And no escape. And it all sounds like judgment, doesn't it? But then I thought of the words of Jesus, because he quotes from Jeremiah, and he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So he takes the first part, and he turns it into grace. I make you fish for men. I make you win souls. I make you catch those sinners out in the depths of darkness, in the depths of the deep, and we can rescue them as fishermen. And so the Lord turned it into grace. I think there's something of that here. I'll, I'll search Jerusalem with candles. And that's what God is. He seeks souls. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. You remember the seven churches? They were in the dark Asia Minor, and the Lord had the lamps. The churches were the seven lamps, and he was searching Asia Minor with the seven lamps for the souls of men. So I think it's right here to say something about grace and evangelism. The world is a very dark place. It's like a cave. But there are the sheep that are lost. And there are the jewels in God's electing grace that are hid and concealed and that he wants to find in the dark places. And so he searches. 
for the sheep that are lost, but for the precious jewels that are hid in the dark places of the earth. And this image of searching Jerusalem, it reminded me of the parable that the Lord Jesus gave to us of the woman who lost something valuable. She had ten pieces of silver, you remember, and she lost one of them. And what did she do? She took a lamp, similar lamp as this. She took a lamp and she looked about the place and she swept through the dust because of it being a dusty, earthy floor. And she never rested until she found it with her lamp. And then she found it and she picked it up out of the dust, that precious silver, and she rejoiced. And Jesus says that he is like that. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come to bring the light of the gospel to go through the homes of the dark places of the earth and here and there find precious silver, precious jewels and precious gems. Isn't that how the Lord found us? He sent some lamp, some Christian, some word, some gospel word. We were in darkness. Oh, what a darkness. But somehow the Lord found us. He sought us out with lamps. In his grace. And he brought us to the knowledge of himself. The Son of Man has come to seek. The searcher for souls. The seeker after sinners. With the light of the gospel. Ah, so I think there's something of that here. As the shepherd seeketh out the flock, so the Lord seeketh out his sheep. You remember whenever God first went seeking? You know, I'd be amazed more and more when I read the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. They are mighty chapters. They're always finding something new in them. I think we should be grounded in them more than any other chapters in the Bible. The opening chapters of Genesis. But whenever in the Garden of Eden, man, he plunged himself into darkness and there was punishment coming, yes. The Lord is going to punish and he comes to punish. But he came searching. And man was punished, but there was also grace, wasn't there? He came with the lamp of the word. Didn't he come and say, I'm going to send you the seed of the woman. I'm going to bring you a saviour. A redeemer. I'm going to give you one who will bruise this serpent's head. Who will destroy this creature that has plunged you into darkness. I'm going to bring a redeemer who is going to reverse all that he has done. So while he came to punish and to drive the man and the woman out. He also came with the lamps of the gospel. To search them out. Where are you Adam? Wasn't that what God said? He's like a searcher, isn't he? Where are you? Where have you gone? Where are you hiding? God knows where he is. But he's revealing himself as a searcher after those who are in darkness. And he says to you tonight, where are you? I'm searching for you in the gospel. I'm bringing the light of the word to you. Where are you, sinner? And so he searches Jerusalem with lamps. So yes, I do think there's something of grace here. And that's how the Saviour found us when we came to Christ. 
You see, not all of Jerusalem have settled on their knees. There's always a remnant. There's always a little handful of the elect. And he's searching for them, the remnant. And not just to punish those that are to be punished who are sitting on their knees. They're all the sinners who are repentant. Sinners who are believing. Sinners who turn to Christ. And so we have this hope. That the lights and the lamp picked to the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the searching work of God's divine grace. And that's how we should want it to be. We that are in darkness. The sinner needs to be awakened and concerned. And want a saviour who will seek for him or her. A saviour who will search for him or her. What did David say whenever he went into darkness and into sin again? Whenever he backslid, what did he say? Lord, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant. Seek me out, Lord. Find me. Restore me. And there are all the sinners like that. Who the Lord works in them and makes them seekers as he seeks for them. And they themselves are saying, Lord, find me. Seek me out and find me and draw me to yourself. Bless God, it's not all punishment. Bless God, there's always a remnant that God searches for and finds in his grace. But those who will not want a saviour, those who will not want grace, those who reject and despise grace, those who reject and despise a God searching with the lamp of the gospel, they will find God coming searching in other ways. And so there is the other kind as well, searching as unto judgment and as unto punishment. And so that's in the text as well. There is a hiding from God and a God seeking out the sinners. Though they dig into hell, he says, thence shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from thence will I bring them down. I find them and I bring them down. You can't hide from God, sinner. There's no place to hide. Though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. So there's no hiding from God. He'll always find the sinners out. Those who are settled on their lees, as we're thinking about tonight. So I want you to notice the sinners who reject Christ, who reject the gospel, and who the Lord searches for in judgment. I want you to notice the description of them tonight too. Their carelessness and complacency is pictured here first of all. Because it says they're settled on their lees. And they say in their heart. The Lord will not do good. Neither will he do evil. You see how they're complacent. They're settled on their lees. And they're thinking in their hearts, you know the Lord, he doesn't do good and he doesn't do evil. You see, the Lord knows our hearts, doesn't he? He he searches the heart. He knows what we're thinking in our heart. He brings the lamps to our heart. Didn't we sing tonight, search me, O God? This is how he searches us with the lamps of his word. And he has searched their hearts and he sees that they're thinking, the Lord, he doesn't do good. The Lord, he doesn't do evil. That's how they think about the Lord. He knows their hearts. It's not that they're saying this outwardly. 
It's not that they're having a, a theological debate among themselves about the Lord, but no, every one of them in their heart are thinking this. And God hears every one of their thoughts. Our thoughts, in fact, to God are louder than our words. Our words often are insincere. But our thoughts are always there. And God knows our thoughts. He hears the thoughts, not just the words. He's able to make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Thou knowest my thought afar off. The Lord knows the thoughts of men, that they are vain. And so this description of the men show that their punishment is just. They're settled on their lees, and they're saying in the hearts, the Lord doesn't do good, the Lord doesn't do evil. And therefore these men are inexcusable. They cannot plead ignorance. They're not ignorant sinners. You know how I know that? Because they're talking about Jehovah. They know the Lord's name. They're not ignorant of the name of the Lord. The Jehovah name was known to Israel. And these are Israelites. These had the temple. These were circumcised people. These were ones who had the Bible. These people had the knowledge of God. So they're not ignorant. They have the knowledge of God. But they suppress it. They do the wickedness. They go on in their sin. They be complacent. They don't turn to the Lord. And they say, well, the Lord, he doesn't do any good. He doesn't do any evil. As if he doesn't care. We don't have to worry about God. That's how they think. Atheistic thoughts. They, they know about the Lord, but they, they, they suppress the knowledge of him. They blank him out. And then it also says, I'll search Jerusalem. Do you see that? I will search Jerusalem with candles. This is a church. This is a place where the temple is. This is a place where the ordinance are, where the oracles of God are. The light of the word. They, they've rejected that. So they can't plead ignorance. God here is not talking about Gaza. He's not talking about the Philistines. He's not talking about Assyria. He's talking about his people. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about the church. He's talking about those who have light. He's talking about people like you and me. Who have no excuse. Who can't plead ignorance. Who know something about the things of God. He searches out the religious. He searches out those who have uh, the privileges of Christianity. Not the heathen merely who have no light and all ignorance. So they're people who should know better. They're the circumcised who have all the feasts in Israel. Settled on their leaves. Whenever the wine, the dregs, they all fall to the bottom. And over time if it's not shaken and refined... The dregs become hard. And these people are never disturbed. They're never shaken by the word. They're never concerned in conscience. Their lives are never disturbed at all. They keep blotting out the Lord won't do anything. The Lord will never send judgment. The Lord doesn't even do good. He doesn't do evil. We don't have to worry about him. So they're never disturbed. And they become hardened. Because that's what happens. The dregs at the bottom, they become hardened. And there they are. Just settled on their knees. Unconcerned, no worries, no fears. Nothing can go wrong. We don't have to worry about the Lord. Then suddenly, the day of the Lord, and the Lord comes with the lamps of judgment and shines upon them. And they're exposed in the light of the divine presence and in the awful searching majesty of a holy God. And there they stand exposed 
And God says, I'll punish them. And they're filled with terror and fear. Because it's a day of the Lord. A day of terror. A day of wrath. A day of judgment. And there's no hiding. And they say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Fall on us and hide us. But there's no hiding. Because he's come with the lamp of his countenance. And the light of his holiness. And there they are. Exposed. And that's how the judgment of God will be on sinners. They'll sit on their lees until the day of the Lord. And then he'll appear. And it'll be absolutely terrifying for them. Absolutely awful. And I'll punish them. And these sinners, they're thinking like that. Oh, the Lord doesn't matter in our life. The Lord doesn't know. He doesn't care. The Lord doesn't see. And so God is not the equation in their life, is he? They don't acknowledge God. Oh, we just get good or we just get bad. It just falls in our lap one way or the other. We don't have to thank him for our food because we just get our food. The Lord doesn't give us our food. The Lord doesn't do good. There's no acknowledgement of God whatsoever. No thanking God. No realizing that our life is dependent on him. And anything that we get that is good is from him. The Lord doesn't do good. You know, it's just good comes to some of them. Sometimes, and evil comes to some sometimes, and sometimes it's the other way around. But it's nothing to do with God. It's everything to do with God. Everything. There's nothing good, but we get it from God. And there's nothing evil, but we get it by His sovereign will too. Everything's by God. But sinners don't think like this. God's not in their worldview. Whereas true believers, God is in the center of their worldview. And they depend on God for everything. And he's their very life. Life in Christ. What does a Christian say? Whom have I heaven but thee? There's none beside thee. There's none that I desire beside thee. You're the very center of my life, Lord. You're the center of my being. What could I do? What could I be without you, Lord? We need the Lord. But not sinners who are settled on their lees. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth our soul after thee, O Lord. That's the people of faith. But the sinners settled on their knees. Oh, the Lord, he doesn't do good. The Lord, he doesn't do evil. We needn't worry about the Lord. We needn't look to the Lord. We needn't thank the Lord. Do you see why their punishment is just? So men and women, we need to know tonight that God will not be written off by sinners. By this kind of thinking. There will come a day. The day of the Lord. He'll search them out. He'll appear in judgment. As the Bible says. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's a great white throne. It's full of bright light. And there's no escape from that divine scrutiny. No hiding. And this will be in God's time. It shall come to pass at that time. That's God's time. The day of the Lord's in God's time. I'll search. You see, sinners, they misinterpret God's long-suffering. They think because they go on for years and years and years in this complacency and nothing ever happens, they, they think it's never going to happen. But the long-suffering of God is not complacency. It's gracious and kind and giving them time to repent. 
And they misinterpret that. Men and women, you must not treat the Lord thus. If the Lord gives you time, it's because he's long-suffering. He's gracious. His purpose is salvation. And you mustn't treat it as complacency just to go on whatever way you like. No, if you've been given time, he's given you space to repent. So repent. And may his word, this warning, disturb you. May this warning, as it is designed to do, awaken you and bring you to concern about your soul and be stirred. Be stirred up to seek him, to turn, to repent, to believe in his son Jesus Christ before it is too late. And this day arrives when he appears in bright light to judge all men in righteousness. So be awakened, sinner, and seek him and his grace and the forgiveness of all your sins for Jesus' sake. Let us pray.